Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea Zarkon. Welcome to the Women Who Roar podcast. Today, I have a very exciting interview. I'm so excited to share it. It is with Chelsea Brooke Cole, who is a licensed psychotherapist, and she specializes in narcissistic abuse and helping introverts and empaths thrive. So she is super accomplished. She's the author of several books, If I'd Only Known How to Outsmart Narcissists, Set Guilt-Free Boundaries, Create Unshakable Self-Worth. And she's spoken at internationally recognized universities, counseling conferences as well on these topics. And she's also spoken on emotional intelligence and healthy relationships. She is a certified partner trauma therapist, a registered clay therapist, a level one certified Gottman Method couples therapist, and a board member of the Yao Foundation, Inc. So she has so much of a knowledge background. And she's currently pursuing a doctorate in social psychology from Liberty University. And we talked about a lot today. We talked about what is narcissistic personality disorder versus narcissistic personality traits. What are the different types of narcissists? Um, different patterns you can look for to help you know if you're in a relationship with a narcissist and more. So check it out. It's a great Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am super excited for our conversation because you are a very smart and accomplished lady. So I think you're going to have a lot of good stuff to share. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It's a topic I'm very passionate about. So always happy to have an opportunity to spread awareness about our specific abuse. Yeah. So I, before we jump in with questions, I want to share a little bit about how I connected with you. I found you. Yeah. On social media, but it was, I found you on a trip I was on and there was the fa- there's family on the trip and we were dealing with a narcissistic personality while we were on that trip. And I just happened to come across a post of yours and it spoke like exactly to what we were dealing with. And so I was showing another people my family, you gotta take a look at this. So I remember I found that, I followed you and I thought, I have to, I got to talk to this girl more. So I am excited for all, all that you have to share. So and here with that, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got interested in working with narcissistic behavior and how you ended up working in the specific field that you are in? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always say that you can only have so many interactions with narcissists before you have to figure out what's going on. So I have had quite a few over my life. I would say I didn't know it. I didn't realize it at the time, but I actually grew up with a narcissistic family member. So I was constantly trying to make sense of their behaviors. They would act one way in public and another way in private. I I felt a lot of just tension in the house and didn't make sense. And I, it honestly drove me a lot to feel like I had to be perfect. Like I had this idea of if I could be good enough and I could earn love. So it really drove me to a lot of perfectionistic overachieving tendencies, which in a way helped me succeed. I started college at 16. I graduated with my master's at 22, like immediately started working as a psychotherapist. I'm successful, you know, in the professional realm, but personally, I kept having these same types of relationships, particularly in romantic relationships, playing out these same kind of traumatic patterns. I would be lied to, manipulated, betrayed. I felt like I was going crazy. I was constantly trying to make sense of what this person was doing. Why were they being passive aggressive? I tried 
every communication strategy, obviously my background and, and profession being a therapist, I thought this is a you know communication issue. So I would bring up, oh, we need to do this couple's activity and we just need to figure out our you know attachment styles or our love languages or let's do this. So I tried everything and nothing made it better. In fact, the healthier I got, the better I got at setting boundaries, asking for my needs to be met and doing what conventional wisdom tells us to do in relationships. My relationships actually got worse. So I finally had to come to the conclusion that if I couldn't change this, because I had done everything, tried every strategy, then it couldn't be me. So that was a big wake-up call for me personally, and it was the hardest thing I ever did, but I had to choose to end that relationship because I realized that it was the passive aggressiveness, the contemptuous comments, the criticalness, the entitled behavior. It wasn't going to stop. So that's kind of my backstory, and I just started helping clients with it at the same time, and now it's just become a mission and a passion to help people understand and heal from and hopefully avoid these relationships altogether if possible yeah it's amazing how covert narcissism can be and that for a long time you were actually a therapist and still recognizing it i remember doing a lot of the same things that you you're mentioning when i was in a relationship with somebody with narcissistic tendencies you know oh well if we just i remember the love languages or the you know the attachment styles this is the key and we're just going to be good if we figure this out and nothing ever worked Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me, though, that you mentioned, you know, being a more empathic person, because I know that's a population you work with, and having grown up with a narcissistic personality in the family, because mm-hmm. I wonder, one, are empaths more susceptible to narcissists and why? And also, mm-hmm. are there characteristic things you see in people's childhood who tend to be drawn to narcissists? Yes, to both. So narcissists tend to be drawn to very empathetic, caring, compassionate people. And I always encourage people, it's not because of what's wrong with you that you end up in a narcissistic relationship. I feel like a lot of times people feel like, how did I end up in this? How could I be so foolish? How did I miss the signs? And it's because you're a self-reflective, compassionate, empathetic person. And that's the reason that you give second chances and you care and you think, you know, no one's perfect. That's okay. We'll work it out. So you know, to answer your question, yes, empaths do tend to find themselves in narcissistic relationships or can, but it's when you have empathy without boundaries. So that's the missing piece. Not that there's something wrong with your your empathy or your being empathetic or being a highly sensitive person. It's that you have to learn to set boundaries around that to protect your gifts. You have to be very intentional about who you let in to see that. The unfortunate part is a lot of empaths will give and give and give and not realize until they're so far in it that they've been giving to a person who's making them sick. Interesting. As far as romantic relationships go, since it sounds like you have some background with that, Mm -hmm. are there common dynamics that you see that, you know, you see them in your clients and you think this is a classic narcissist relationship dynamic? Yeah, so many. I think the big one that really stands out is that, that narcissistic relationships are not all bad. I think it's really important for people to get that up front because if it was, how much easier would that be? I mean, if every day was awful and every day was terrible, then we would be like, okay, this is this is a bad egg. This is not a good person. I don't want to be with them. The reality is narcissistic relationships are made of ups and downs. 
it's hot and cold. It's good days and bad days. It's I love you versus, and then the next day I criticize you. It's we have this huge argument and I gaslight you and I make you question yourself and say all these degrading comments or maybe even just like subtly belittling comments that put doubts in your head about who you are and your self-worth. But then the next day I go and get you flowers and say, I'm sorry and I don't want to fight. Like it is the ups and the downs. I think that confuses a lot of people, but that's actually what makes narcissistic relationships so sticky meaning it's harder to leave because you think, well, we have good days. There are good moments. So the solution is let me figure out what's happening on our bad day. And then we'll just have all good days. That's what we think. If we don't understand that narcissistic abuse and narcissistic people are very inconsistent. They're consistently inconsistent. So it's the good and bad, the ups and downs. I see that a lot. What drives the ups and downs? So that gets a bit into what makes a narcissist. So narcissists are driven to to get narcissistic supply. By that, I mean they manage and regulate their emotions and their sense of self and self-esteem based on how much admiration, validation, attention they can get. So if your, let's say, narcissistic partner got a promotion at work or something went well and they received a compliment, someone flirted with them or they got some, you know, attention that made them feel good, then they can come home and kind of seem chipper and and nice and in a good mood. And and those are the good days. Then on days when their narcissistic supply is not getting met, so someone else got the promotion at work or something didn't go the way that they wanted, now they're going to be sullen or withdrawn or victimized and their narcissistic supply is low. So that is directly impacting their mood, their emotions, and how they treat you. So you think it has something to do with me. I need to communicate better. If I can be better, then we can have a good relationship. But actually, it's not about you at all. It's about them and how life is going for them. Interesting. Which I feel like is how it usually is in healing it's usually not about you it's usually about something going on in the other person in relationships in general each person has to kind of own you know own their own thing so what is how what has happened in the childhood of a narcissist and what has happened in the childhood of somebody who's drawn to a narcissist that had kind of shaped their attraction to each other yes great question so (laughs) why narcissism develops is a very complicated question it's definitely more multi-layered. There are some studies that suggest that narcissists do tend to have a more difficult temperament. So temperament being the part of your personality that you're born with. So how agreeable or disagreeable you are, how introverted or extroverted you are. So narcissists do tend to be born with just a more difficult temperament. They're more disagreeable. However, it's much more how they're raised. So Once a narcissist is formed, looking back, we can see that there tends to be this over and underindulgent environment that they were raised in. So what I mean is they were overindulged in getting attention for achievements or for being admired or doted on. And there was an underindulgement of real empathy and care and love and like their parents somehow didn't them. They didn't have that emotional connection. It's also possible for some narcissists to be raised in very neglectful, traumatic environments where they developed narcissistic tendencies to 
protect themselves. But as I always say, more often than not, anyone who's had a traumatic or neglectful background does not, you know, go on to become a narcissist. And it's never, you know, it's never an excuse for abusive behavior in the future. As you said, we all have to take responsibility for our actions in the future or in the in the present as well. Yeah. And then what about people who are attracted to them? Is that tend to be a characteristic childhood picture or that can just be anyone? You know, it really can be anyone. It's, it's kind of a myth that only, you know, you're weak if you fall into these relationships. There, like I said, there are therapists who fall into narcissistic relationships. So it's either that you don't know what, usually it's that you don't understand that you're falling for a narcissist at all. You think that you're falling for this great, wonderful person that they seem to be in the beginning of the relationship. And then you're, you know, committed to the relationship before you realize the kind of person that you're dealing with. Or there is a, there's something that happened in your childhood, like maybe you had a narcissistic parent, which means that you are used to or familiar with that toxic dance of hot and cold, trying to earn someone's love, trying to be good enough, trying to get attention. If you've had that in your past, and that's unfortunately a, a very perfect setup for a narcissist, because in a way, even though logically you think, I don't want a person neglectful or critical or dismissive, at the same time, it kind of feels familiar. Like, oh yeah, I know what this is like. And you fall back into trying to earn their love as an adult. That makes sense. Similar to some of the attachment styles, like when you're an infant, if your caregiver is hot and cold, not there, that's what yeah, feels faithful and familiar. So beyond the patterns of narcissism, I do want to talk about some of the definitions of it because... I think I, would, I did an interview with the Dr. Julia Britson. She works with sex and love addiction. And she was talking about how, you know, we, people just kind of throw around the word narcissist now, how men are kind of known for saying, oh, my ex is just crazy. Now that's what women kind of say. Oh, my ex is just a narcissist. So what's the difference between someone with maybe some narcissistic traits for someone with narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah, so it's really great to distinguish between the two because I know a lot of people, even in my work, they will say, well, I can't diagnose or, well, I shouldn't diagnose, you know, if they don't want to diagnose their partner or something. So NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is something that can only be given by a mental health professional and they do it based on the DSM or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Same thing where you see anxiety disorders, depression, bipolar, anything else. So NPD is a diagnosis. Most people who are high in a trait of narcissism do not get diagnosed with NPD because they're not going to therapy. They think mm. they're fine. It's everyone else. So narcissism is a personality trait, just like introversion, extroversion, being agreeable or conscientious. So when we say someone's narcissistic, it is a descriptive label. It is not a diagnosis. So essentially anyone can say that's narcissistic behavior. Now, to your point, yes, narcissism, unfortunately, is overused sometimes, which waters down the significance of the word, which is really unfortunate because we should legitimize the fact that some people have truly went through narcissistic abuse. If everyone's a narcissist, then no one is a victim of it. So it is really important to use that term, you know, in an appropriate way. Well, you do give some good tools. So I know you have a new book coming out and in it you define yeah, the six types of narcissism are. So you want to dive into to those because I think if we know what those types are, it's a lot easier to recognize are we dealing with narcissistic abuse or somebody who just maybe needs to go to therapy and develop some better 
communication strategies. Mm -hmm. So what are those and can you break them down for us? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, it's really important to talk about different presentation styles of narcissism. So our narcissistic types, because if you don't recognize the different types, then you may miss someone as being a narcissist altogether. So the one we're probably most familiar with is the grandiose narcissist. That's what most people mean when they say they're narcissistic. So this is the stereotypical, entitled, grandiose, kind of arrogant, super confident person that might be very charming and charismatic. They tend to be extroverted, so they tend to be pretty socially adept and have lots of friends They may be successful in their job or career. They kind of have this grandiosity about them. Uh, to some people, that is alluring because they're very, they seem very confident and like they've got it all figured out and all together. Uh, to other people, it kind of seems like too much. Like this person just really extra full of themselves is how we would we would often see a grandiose type. The vulnerable narcissist, which is often referred to as covert narcissist, is kind of shows the opposite side of the narcissist spectrum. So grandiose narcissist is super loud, talkative, charismatic, the vulnerable narcissist usually appears much more sullen, withdrawn. You kind of think that they're depressed or just sad, down on their luck. They have more of this victimized feel to them, which initially a lot of us a lot of us think, oh, this person's just went through a hard time. They just need some help, some love, support, and then they're going to be a great person because they, they just don't seem as threatening as a grandiose narcissist. They're kind of seem harmless maybe even you feel a little sorry for them and that's how they kind of suck people in the the difference between a vulnerable narcissist and depression is depression can improve and it doesn't have the abuse with it they're not going to also be criticizing you and feeling entitled and passive aggressive and all that stuff so a vulnerable narcissist no matter how much you help them it doesn't get better like they're an endless pit of issues and that's how they keep you around. The communal narcissist is a person who needs to kind of be seen as a do-gooder. They might be like a humanitarian, a philanthropic person, or maybe they're just someone who volunteers at all of the bake sales and is like at every community event. And they need to be seen by the world as this really giving selfless person. But even though they are doing a lot of good things, they're not doing them for the right reason. They are doing them to be seen. So they're not interested in being a good person. They're interested in being seen as a good person. So you'll find that in their inner circle, like when they go home after this philanthropic event, at home, they're very critical and demeaning and still entitled and passive aggressive. But no one outside in the world would ever think that this person is like that. So they do a very good job of maintaining a very compassionate, selfless image, but interpersonally within their relationships, they're still exploitative and very manipulative, passive aggressive, things like that. The self-righteous narcissist is a person who tends to be hyper-moralistic. So you might see this type of person in religious organizations, or they can be hyper-focused on one or two areas, like adhering to a really rigid schedule or being like having an unhealthy relationship with food and working out like they're they're so intent on perfecting this one area and they're extremely rigid and judgmental of anyone else who does not follow their standard. 
So in a lot of ways, they can look like, wow, they are just really together or really organized or really successful, but they still have that very judgmental piece about them. And they can also be very hypocritical. So they might, let's say, be very judgmental of someone who drinks alcohol, but then they're hiding a secret porn addiction. Like there's this disparity between what they say, who they say that they are and the kind of person that they actually are behind closed doors. Again, narcissists don't care who they actually are. They care what the world thinks that they are. So there's always that disparity between what they actually do and what they want the world to see. Neglectful narcissists are the ones where if you if you live with a neglectful narcissist, you kind of feel like you're part of the wallpaper until they need something from you. So a lot of people who've dealt with neglectful narcissists feel that many of the examples that people give of narcissistic abuse, like the fights and the arguments and just the emotional criticisms, they don't relate to that because their narcissist is very contemptuous, but they're just more sullen and unemotional and withdrawn. Like, there's just nothing there. Like, these people, they don't even get to have their argument. There's no discussion happening. The narcissist is just treating you like you're non-existent until I need you. Kind of like you put your car in the garage and you don't think about it until you need to go drive somewhere again. That's often how a neglectful narcissist treats usually their partner. They're just very demeaning and, and cold and unemotional. Just There's just nothing there. There are a lot of withholding behaviors, like just not engaging with them emotionally, intellectually, anything, unless they want something or need something from them. And then... The last one is the malignant narcissist, and that's the one most closely associated with the psychopath. So this is someone who's very strategic and calculating. This isn't a narcissist who's necessarily going to impulsively lash out at you. They will intend to get you back. Like this is a narcissist that will spend years in a custody battle, not because they really want the kid, but because they know that that's what's important to you. So they're very sinister, sadistic, like they actually get pleasure out of causing you pain or harm because it makes them feel powerful. So they're they're very scary narcissists to deal with. So that's kind of a quick overview of the six different types. That's super helpful because I think it sheds a lot of light on relationship dynamics that tend to be confusing a lot of times. And I mean, obviously, if you're in a relationship with a grandiose narcissist or a sadistic one, it doesn't take that long to spot. But how do, what tips do you give to help people know if they're really in their relationship with a narcissist or maybe somebody who has workaholic tendencies because of some undealt with issue of their own or someone who maybe just mm -hmm. needs to work on being more emotionally available and it's not necessarily coming from a narcissist place or something like that? Mm -hmm. So I think actually it can take a long, it can take people a long time to realize that they're dealing with a narcissist because these are patterns that you see develop over time. And you also have to know the difference between what a narcissist looks like to everyone else and then how they actually are behind closed doors. So that's why a lot of times people don't see it until they are moving in with the narcissist or they've been in a relationship for several months or maybe a year. Like there might be some you know, red flags, like the narcissist is inconsistent or tends to get very emotionally volatile or rages at you at times or seems to be critical or passive aggressive. But 
it does it does take some time to kind of see what you're dealing with. But to your question of well, you know, how can you differentiate all issues within narcissistic relationships are very re- recyclable, if you will. Like it kind of it keeps going back around and around. So if you're dealing with someone who's just a workaholic or has other issues, then they would be willing to have that conversation with you. They might say, yeah, you're right. Like I really am stressed or I'm, I'm struggling with this. You, you can have a conversation about it. They might be willing to go to therapy. They don't constantly blame shift, refuse to take personal responsibility, show a complete lack of empathy. There's something that that will improve the relationship. So if you find yourself just in this cycle of the same issues, the same problems, they never get resolved and you never feel good enough, you're always being guilt tripped or blamed for things. This person never takes personal responsibility and that's a, a pattern, then I would say you're probably dealing with someone more narcissistic. Interesting, that cycle. So what is it about, one thing I've noticed with narcissistic relationships is that they tend to start out really great and then the problematic behaviors start to intensify the more serious the relationship gets. Move in together or you get engaged or something like that and the problems just intensify. And I always felt like that was from control maybe, you know, that in the beginning they're trying to kind of woo you but the more sense of control they have, the more they're willing to show their behaviors. Is that accurate or is there something else that causes that dynamic of things getting worse the more serious you get? Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, narcissists have to convince you that there's someone they're not in order for you to get in a relationship with them. So they can ha- they have this face originally where... They can seem very intense and very intuitive and very like into you, asking you questions, learning about you and spending all this time with you and getting you gifts. And it can it can feel like a fairy tale. It, it can be very, very charming at first. And you kind of feel like you're swept off your feet or you've never had anything like this before. There's very intense mirroring. And what I mean is the person finds out about you, like the narcissist is asking questions, like what's important to you? Tell me about your hopes and your dreams. And you think, wow, we're getting really, you know, intimate. Like this is this is a really serious relationship. You don't realize they're learning about that in order to use it against you later, in order to future fake you with like, if they know that having kids and, and moving is something really important, then they'll say, you know, I know we've been having a hard time, but like, let's just get to, you know, where we can move. Or let, let me just get through this. You know, don't you want to have kids? And don't you want to, you know, bringing up all these dreams and things that you shared with them originally, but that's how they keep you in the relationship. So over time, narcissists start treating you differently because one, they have you in a sense, like once you're committed or you're in a relationship, they have your narcissistic supply. They have your admiration. They know, okay, this, this person values me or likes me narcissists get very they're very novelty seeking so they get bored like the narcissistic supply that you're giving them gets kind of stale and so they want to go seek it in other places so they're always looking for someone to validate them and someone to make them feel superior which is why they start devaluing you so there's that sense of criticizing you putting you down which then gives them that sense of like you said control and feeling better than getting their entitlement needs met. Got it. So it's really about 
their narcissistic supply getting that. And it sounds like yeah. for narcissists that perception is more important than connection, as in they're they're more concerned with how people see them than actually connecting with people. Why is that? So narcissists lack self-reflection. That's one of the things inherent in being highly narcissistic is you really struggle with self-reflection or they, they struggle with having any empathy. So to them, what people don't know doesn't really matter. They look at the world and they get validation from from people based on who people think they are. So as long as someone thinks they're an amazing person, then they're going to get validation that they're an amazing person. They're not bothered by the fact that there's that that disconnect or disparity between who I actually am and who people think I am because they regulate their sense of self-esteem and self-worth through narcissistic supply, not by actually being a person of integrity. So it's not important that my words and actions match and I'm, a, I'm like an actually good person. It matters what the world thinks of me because I care about what the world think so if the world thinks i'm great they're going to tell me i'm great so i'm great it's like a very delusional kind of world obviously that they they live in it's a lot of delusional thinking and that's why people in relationships with them spend so much time arguing about reality that's another really big sign that you're in a narcissistic relationship you can't even argue about the actual issue you're arguing about how you are seeing it differently like you're constantly trying to convince them no this happened or this is how i feel or this is what you said, and they will deny it. They will blame shift. They will say, no, you took it the wrong way. That's not what I meant. You're misremembering that. You're crazy. You're making things up. You have your own issues. You just don't trust me. You just misinterpret me all the time. So you're constantly trying to argue about reality. And the narcissist only allows for their reality. They only want you to see the world the way that they see it so that they can think that they're a good person. A lot of what you describe for narcissism all reminds me of, it sounds like a little overlapping sociopathic tendencies. I was, I remember when I was learning about sociopathic tendencies, they were talking about how sociopaths, they basically observe what genuine human connection looks like, and then they just try to create it. And it sounds like there's some of that going on with narcissism. Yes. So all sociopaths are narcissists. Not all narcissists are sociopaths. Same thing with, yeah, same thing with psychopathy. So there's this this overlay for sure of sociopathy, psychopathy, narcissism. All psychopaths and sociopaths are narcissists. Not all narcissists are quite to the extent of being a sociopath or a psychopath, but you will see all of those narcissistic traits in a psychopath and a sociopath. My other question would be, can you cover some of the overlap between emotional abuse and narcissistic abuse, because so many of the things that you describe being narcissistic abuse are defined by, you know, national health organizations, mental health organizations as emotional abuse. The one thing I wanted to bring to light in this series is emotional abuse is serious. It can cause lasting psychological damage. And I think even more importantly, or as I should say, equally as important, is that it can be a red flag for physical abuse down the line. And so, you know, what's the overlap between emotional abuse and narcissistic abuse? You know, it's a really good question. And narcissistic abuse as a concept is really still being constructed. That's why it's so important. Like this work and the the literature on narcissism, narcissistic abuse is still so new. There's still not total agreement on what exactly is narcissistic abuse and 
and things like that. So I would say that narcissistic abuse is is a type of mental and emotional abuse. So there's there's definitely going to be overlap. The blame shifting, criticizing, gaslighting, denial of your reality, so much of that's going to interlap. The the difference would be that emotional abuse can be kind of perpetrated by anyone. Narcissistic abuse specifically is going to be perpetrated by someone who's high in the trait of narcissism. So there's there's going to be aspects of emotional and psychological abuse and control, but then you're also going to just have the complexity of the fact that you're dealing with a person who's narcissistic. So someone who has is pathologically insecure, meaning that they will say they're very confident, but they are actually driven by a lot of subconscious insecurities. And they that's why they engage in so many defense mechanisms like denying their behavior and lying and blame shifting and gaslighting because they can't handle the the shame or the weight of seeing who they truly are. So they have to be 100% that convinced that you're the problem because if you're not the problem, then I, I, can't, I can't stand to look at myself. So I have to convince myself you're the problem. So within a narcissistic relationship, there's many more complexities because yes, you're being emotionally abused and you're dealing with a narcissistic individual who also just lacks the self-reflection and empathy to make lasting changes within themselves. So are there types of emotional abuse that are more characteristic or more specific to to narcissistic relationships? I think gaslighting is the one that stands out the most. That idea that someone is making you question your reality, question your thoughts, your feelings, and ultimately even your right to feel or think the way that you do. Gaslighting, which is a whole topic we could spend hours on mm-hmm. in and of itself. But, you know, if you find yourself consistently feeling more confused when you end a conversation than when you start it, if you start to feel like your thoughts and feelings are not as valid as others and constantly question yourself and replay scenarios in your mind and Every time you bring up a need or an emotion, the narcissist says, that's ridiculous, or you're crazy, or you need help, or they tell you that's not how things happen and you're misremembering. And even in very subtle ways of making you question, you know, what you're doing, I'll give you an example. Let's say that you are, you know, going out with a friend and you you plan to go out. You told the narcissist, hey, I'm going to leave at six, like I'll be back. And then before you leave, it seems like the narcissist uh, always um, causes an argument. They bring up something in the past. They criticize the way that you did something. So you start to have this argument and then you realize, you know, if I keep talking, I'm going to be late. So you say, hey, can we pause? Like, I need to go. I'm going to be late. We'll come back. And then they say, wow, I can't believe you don't even care about this relationship anymore. Like, I, you're really going to leave me like this? I'm how I'm feeling. I can't believe that you would do this. You know what? I'm just going to go out with my friends too. And we'll see if there's anything left when you even get back. So then you're like, what? just happened i just wanted to go out with my friends and then this happened so that over and over and over again isolates someone conditions them to not even go out with friends or not even share a thought or share a need or share a perspective because it just always seems to lead to conflict so that's a really common dynamic in narcissistic relationships i think it's just so interesting how in emotionally abusive relationships and narcissistic relationships your world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and it ultimately leads to being more and more under the control of the abusive person. So, yeah, yeah. 
There were so many things that you said that I feel like we could talk about for hours. So if yeah. somebody <laughs> wants to binge your content, I know you've written a lot of books. You also have a lot of great social media resources. So where can people follow you and learn more about your work? Yeah. So I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at Chelsea Brooke Cole. I'm also on Twitter, LinkedIn, I have some TikTok videos. And uh, most people also find me through my newsletter. So you can get that on my website, ChelseaBrookeCole.com. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a conversation. Yes. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm on a mission to help protect women from toxic relationships by supporting them and recognizing the signs. I also want to help women heal from toxic relationships by letting them know they are not alone. The stories and conversations I share on this platform and in my book, Losing You, Finding Me, are designed to do just that. I'd love for you to help spread this mission by subscribing to this podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. Also consider picking up a copy of Losing You, Finding Me for a deep dive into healing from trauma and toxic relationships. Until next week.